Hey everybody, Jim Kerr here. I'm really excited to have Mark C. Crowley as my guest today on another episode of the Indispensable Conversation. Mark is a popular leadership speaker. He's a podcast host. He's a consultant, a true change agent in the workplace space. He's also the author of Lead from the Heart, which is a tremendous book that examines how to lead and inspire others to greatness by leading from the heart. So all this makes him like the perfect guest for us to explore this question. Is emotional currency worth more than raises and bonuses? I think in the face of today's economic uncertainty, this is a question we all have to confront. Welcome aboard, Mark. Well, thank you very much, Jim. I appreciate the introduction. And hopefully uh, by the end of this, you'll say that guy was indispensable. <laughs> thank you and that was a marvelous plug so i will right? share that thank, thank there you, you go. Mark. um so let's jump right in is emotional currency worth more than raises and bonuses so the answer is yes but let me let me take a like a sizable step backwards here and say that uh let me i want to explain what that even means okay, so good. that our audience is completely grounded in it the 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 idea going back hundreds of years, Rene Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. And we human beings went, hell yeah, that's who we are. We're rational beings and everything happens up here. And right. And so we've carried this forward in our workplaces forever. We have hired the brainiest people for management positions. The smart people are the ones. And we've also said, you know, leave your troubles at the door. We don't really want to get into your messiness. I don't need to know who you are. Just do your job. And if you do it well, we'll maybe give you a little extra. And if you don't do it well, we're going to find somebody else. That's been the transactional relationship in business forever. So, but the thing is, is that science has proved and, and is like repeatedly proving it now. So like six, seven, eight years ago, Antonio Damasio at the Salk Institute proved that we are emotional beings, we're not rational beings. And he, the name of his book is Descartes Was Wrong Effectively, right? <laughs> so, um, but <laughs> subsequently we've got a lot more science that's proving something that, by the way, I proved in my own 25 year career in managing people, which is that we're feeling, sensing beings and emotions are driving most of our behavior. Mm -hmm. And so this year, there was a book that came out from Zoe Chance at Yale, which said up to 95% of our behavior is being driven by feelings and emotions. Mm -hmm. So we as a manager, I'm the smart guy. And so I say to you, Jim, hey, if we work really hard, we can get our customer service score from 3.24 to 3.37. And that would be great. And people are like, what is that? Like, why does that matter to me? And what matters to people is how we make them feel and how we make them feel is actually the driver of their behavior. Mm -hmm. So starting off with the premise that you can't have engagement, you can't have people being happy at work, you have, can't have people committed if you are deliberately, intentionally paying them at 50% of what the market bears, mm -hmm. right? If you're, you're trying to be that guy. So I always say you reap what you sow and so pay people generously. But let's just assume that people are paid fairly. People feel like I'm being I'm being compensated. My whole package is fair. Once people negotiate that pay package, it stops being a daily motivator of their performance. It just stops driving it. Now, if right. you're a sales guy and you're only getting paid by sales there, that's an outlier. 
But for the most of us, we just stop thinking about our pay. So what are the drivers? So I coined the term emotional currency because what it implies is if we are feeling, sensing organisms, right? If we're beings and something else that we know through science is that we human beings are hardwired, hardwired. We came into this world hardwired to thrive on positive emotions. And life throws plenty of negative emotions our way. And so we need an offset. And so emotional currency is doing things that create feelings inside of people that create the positive emotions that we know lead to optimal performance. So So you'd say, say, Mark, that then that it's that being able to tap into those emotions creates a value that's far better than money. I don't want to say that because money is important. What I'm yeah. saying is if you if you just think that pay alone is going to be the driver and motivator yes. of someone's okay. performance, you've uh-huh. lost the plot. Yeah. Well, I know, you know, in some of your other writing, you, you write about, you know, the idea of caring about people as being something that should really be considered a leadership competency. And I think that's easier said than done. I While I agree with that, I, I'm not sure that we can necessarily train people up to be more empathetic. What do you think? Um, I think you can. I think, you, in other words, if I said to you, my expectations of you in this job as a manager, Jim, is to demonstrate that you care about people and you have to do that in myriad ways and it has can't be manipulative, it can't be yeah. inauthentic. And, if, and is that something that you feel that you can do? What it's yeah. interesting is, is that we know through Gallup research, Jim Harder told me this in an interview. We, we were working on an article and he threw this out to me and it just completely blew my mind that yeah. only only about a third of human beings on the planet. I, I call it a caring gene. I forget what he called it, but basically an inclination to think about other people. Yeah. Right. So so if so I'm managing it, you about a third of the population in the, of the right. world. And so it's interesting when you look at engagement in America, for example, it's 30 percent. So it's almost like, you know, just through natural distri- distribution that the 30 percent who got the caring managers are the ones that are engaged. Right. Yeah, so. Yeah. yeah. So um, I'm an advocate for. Hiring people who have it. Mm-hmm. So. I'm not I'm saying to organizations, stop hiring people just because they're really smart. Start hiring people who demonstrate an inclination to intentionally care about the growth, success and well-being of other people, Mm -hmm. because we've all worked for managers who it's all about them. They actually compete with us because they're threatened by our recognition. You know, big boss comes in and goes, hey, Mark, you're doing a really good job. And, you know, I've heard great things about you. Now my boss is pissed off because, you know, he or she's not getting any recognition. And now all of a sudden they're, we're going to start competing. And I'm like, all I'm doing is doing my job. Why is that a threat to you? So we need to like find people who, and, and, and I actually have advocated for this several times in articles, but I really believe if we change the word manager to coach, that it would turn on a switch because yeah. you know the coach doesn't jump in at the fourth quarter and go, I'm going to quarterback the, the team ball. for the rest. Yeah. You know, right, right, yeah. No, I love that, and and in fact, I'm in the middle of writing book number seven here, and it's wow. a book on, it's a book on coaching, but it's a book written for leaders, not for coaches. It's saying, listen, you should fold coaching into your leadership repertoire, 
so that uh, you become a really great coach as, and also become an exceptional leader as a result of being able to apply coaching principles, you know? So Bravo. yeah, so I'm with you. I, I think, and that's a great, great point. Let, let's go back. I kind of, you know, short shrifted you a little bit there as you were explaining emotional currency. And I want to, I want to make sure I provide a platform for you to talk about this, but you know, in the book, you suggest that it's the heart, not the mind. And you started to describe why. Um, was there, is there more to the point? I think it's a critical point, but is there more that I, I maybe cut you off from being able to share with us this morning? Well, you know, um, so I'm, I'm going to tell a story at a school that I probably shouldn't tell. And like, my wife has even told me not to tell it. So <laughs> but, oh, I but, can't wait. <laughs> I know. right? So, because it, because it, it's, it's I, admittedly, it's, it's a little bit disrespectful and I don't mean it that way. So if I frame it up just as an illustration, um, I think it would be helpful to your audience. So I can see my book in the background. Um, and I'm hoping your audience can. Yep. So when my publisher came to me with a, uh, a mock-up of the cover that they were proposing, the designer had not read the, had not read the book. And so, on the cover was two things. One, a black laptop with a Valentine heart on it. That was the okay. cover. And that is the third rail for me. Because when people hear the expression <laughs> leaf, like it could not have been more mismatched to what the what the book is about. Yeah. And so our fantasy is when they go lead from the heart, like, oh, he must be a religious nut or a spiritualist or someone who doesn't get business because we don't bring heart into business, right? Yeah. So yeah. if your audience can see in the back, um, my daughter-in-law actually is an amazing artist and I asked her to then step in and create the book cover. Thank you. And you're, so right in the center, there's an anatomical heart. And this is this is how. Thank you for doing that, Jim. Sure. Yeah. That, it, I love the book, Mark. <laughs> thank you so much. I'm, I'm trying to punctuate the idea that this is not a romantic idea. This is not a soft idea. It's a scientific idea. And I was a biology for non-majors guy in college, so like I'm not the scientist, but I went looking for validation of what I already knew to be true, and what I found is that science, the emerging science is proving that the heart and the mind are actually interconnected. Yeah. That there's this flow of intelligence that's going on constantly that one organization calls coherence. So you and I are having this wonderful conversation. I'm really happy right now. I'm feeling great about this experience. It's creating a wonderful coherence inside of me, the communication that's going on constantly between the heart and the mind. And what science has proved is that when people are there, when they're in that moment, when I'm in this moment with you, mm -hmm. I'm thriving. And when I'm thriving, I can do anything. Like I, my, my best performance is gonna come from this state of being. Sure. So if we understand that, then why wouldn't we wanna go out of our way to put people into that very level state of being? Yes. Consistently. Right. And it's so easy to do. So that's the answer. The heart and the mind are connected. It's called lead from the heart because if you focus on how people are feeling and you identify the heart as being the center of what that is, yep. metaphorically for some people, literally for me, yep. 
you're going to win people over in ways you can't even imagine. Right. Thinking about how you're making people feel is the most essential leadership thought that you should have. I love it. Yeah. Let, let's talk about leading from the heart in a virtual setting, because it seems that more and more you know businesses have that situation to to, to manage through. And I'm wondering what, what your ideas are on that. Um, I believe that, um, you know, the heart is also symbolic of connection. And we know that if people like we're social animals, so if we don't have enough connection with one another, like, and by the way, literally, you know, so if I'm in my studio here and I work all day and I have no other connection because I'm not going to a workplace and you're doing the same thing, you and I are going to shrivel up. We're going to yeah. we're going to start feeling lonely. It's going to lead to all kinds of health issues, mental health issues. We're sure. meant to be with other people. But if you're managing a team that's remote and by the way, this is the same standard if people were with you all five days, because people yeah. come into the office and you work with them, you go, hey, where are you on this? And I need this done. And you're not really having any connection with them. You're just having a transaction. So I'm saying that you have to have managers have to have a conversation with every single direct report every single week. And some managers, go, well, I don't have time for that. I'm like, well, that's your job. That's the way yeah. I look at it. Right. Yeah. Because the conversation has to be, how are you, Jim? You know, mm. how are things in Cornwall, Connecticut? What's going on in your life? Tell me right. about the book you're writing. Right. The idea isn't, I, hey, Jim, where, what, you know, when are you going to get me chapter three? Because, uh, you know, you're a little bit right. behind on schedule. And right, that's right. not the conversation. The conversation right. is, how can I help you? And right. that may translate into, hey, I'm having a difficulty getting, you know, this department to help me out. So maybe, right. you know, that may be that. But the idea is, this the continuity. It's the predictability and the stability yeah. of knowing my boss, Jim Kerr, is going to have a conversation with me and right. I can talk to him or her whenever, you know, sure. knowing that I have, you know, challenges. Yeah. I, I need your support. It's ex they're accepted. Yeah. I mean, in, and I agree. I mean, I, I wrote some articles on this uh, a couple of years back when COVID was sort of at its height of, of scariness and not that it's not continues to be scary, but people were really, you know, concerned about what's this look like and what if it doesn't go away and so on. And I, I wrote about the idea of um, helping people in a virtual setting to still feel connected. Now, I've got grave concerns that uh, full out, you know, virtual world is not a good one to strive for. I, I think there's impact. I think it's going to probably really be felt by the youngest generation of worker that's entering the workforce who maybe never stepped foot in an office yet. Um, because to your point, if they were in a space, you know, and everyone's there working together and so on, there are people that will come out of a meeting and go, hey, kid, come here for a minute. I want to give you some feedback right. and and help to coach that person and also point out maybe some of the small p politics that that's being addressed inside the meeting so it's the meeting inside the meeting kind of thing and i don't think that really happens in a virtual setting i don't think leaders are spinning back around and trying to coach up their younger less experienced staffers i i, I think it's on to the next meeting and uh, I, I think that's where we're going to suffer a consequence because we can imagine that this goes on for any period of time. 
your middle management, which these young people just entering the workforce are right now, will become middle managers in 10 years. And they will have no experience in team building or any of that kind of stuff or very limited. I mean, I think some of it can happen in a virtual world, but but there's some big gaps there. And I think we've got to kind of confront that as top leaders, you know, and recognize that we've got to do something else to be able to harness the potential of our youngest workers. You know, I wrote an article when we first started going back to the office and usually like I write for Fast Company and usually they've done very, very well and I've gotten a lot of really great feedback and I feel like I'm having a good impact. And I wrote this article at the beginning and I said, this whole idea of working remotely 100% of the time is not good for anyone. Yeah, and I, I and I got hate mail for the first time yeah. I've ever gotten it, you know. But what's it? I used to it, kid. If you say you know, <laughs> I wasn't. I, it, it's controversial. Me, you know? There's someone that's not going to like it. But I think what you know, what we're first of all, sixty percent of jobs will never be done remotely. So you know, we're talking about the smaller percentage of people. Now, a lot of them are professionals, and you know, you and I are able to work remotely and so forth. But um, I, I absolutely agree with you in the sense that there's so much that's that's lost. The mentoring that you were talking about, you know, what I look back on in my career early on, I got uh, like surprisingly big promotions one after another, and I've you know I've had plenty of time to reflect on it. And one of the things that I think that I brought was an unusual sense of humor. Like I could see, <laughs> and it was, you know, it, it, it was perceived as being very creative and like giving a different perspective on things. And it was a strength of mine that I still have, but I was able to display in meetings with other people. And they were like, hey, like he's smart, like he's smart, yeah. but in a different way. Right. And if you do that on Zoom with, you know, the same number sure. of people in the room, like I never would have been able to display that. You right. know, that's just yeah. one. But I, I do believe in the, the water cooler thing. You know, Absolutely. I, you run into people and you have conversations yeah. with people and you learn their styles and all of that. And right. so I'm a believer in, in, in hybrid. But, you know, one of the things that you were talking about a minute ago that I thought you'd find interesting is when COVID hit, like we all kind of figured out, not everybody, but a lot of managers figured out, hey, like, I'm calling and the dogs barking and the kids running around yeah, right. kids yeah. doing homeschooling. Sure. It's like, Hey, this isn't like the right time for me to go, Hey, you're ready for your performance review, you know? And so, right. um, right. so they started to become more thoughtful about it. Hey, is this a good time to talk to you? How's what's going on? How are you doing? Do you need anything we're doing? We're sending care packages to people. Right. right. And then as soon as we thought that like COVID was sort of taming down, we go, we don't need to do that anymore. Yeah. And so as early as last year, like last August, there was already evidence that our inclination to care about people in the way that we were caring about them was already on the rapid descent. But what's yeah. interesting is if you look at the, you know, the blip of, of engagement, when was, when, we, when was the all-time high over the last 15 years in employee engagement during COVID when they yeah. were being really caring? Well, I, I know. And, you know, it, it's funny. I feel that the media and some thought leaders here in the leadership space are glomming on to these, these things, giving it new names, things, you know, like some kid put out a TikTok video a while back about quiet quitting. And then it all of a sudden went viral. 
And now you're seeing the New York Times write about it and Harvard Business Review and Forbes and Fast Company and Inc. And, and it's glorifying, sensationalizing something that I think has been a phenomenon forever. There's a bell curve. You've got high performers on one end. You have a bulk of people sort of in the middle kind of deciding how hard they want to be working. And then there's some folks that hide under their desk and hope the boss doesn't find them because they don't want another assignment. To attribute quiet quitting and quiet firing, the idea of the boss, you know, terrorizing workers, you know, in the hopes of making them quit, right? If that's what we're talking about and glamorizing through all this writing and so on, we got, a, again, a younger generation of workers that don't know any better. They enter the workforce. They open up the first issue of, you know, HBR that they've ever looked at. <laughs> And there's an article on quiet quitting and an article on quiet firing. And they start, you know, doing a web search and they find, you know, 2 million hits on, on those terms. We're basically telling these kids that this is something that's very real, that this is something that's okay to do. You can quiet quit because after all, you know, if the boss doesn't treat you well and so on. And I, I just think it's the wrong message. You know, not everything that's, not every workplace ill can be attributed to the pandemic. Well, you know, it's what's funny, interesting. I've done a lot of work with Gallup, um, worked on several articles together. They were extremely helpful to me with new research that's in my book. And so I just happened to notice this. So my, I call this sexying up, you know, employee engagement, you know, quiet, (laughs) Quiet quitting is Thank is, is not engaged, right? Um, but we, yes. you know, so but what was so interesting was I was looking for the most recent engagement data, and mm-hmm. on Gallup's website. So it used to be it was engaged, which is like thirty percent. Not engaged was basically you know fifty percent, and then actively disengaged, which is mm-hmm. right now eighteen percent, which is people who want to sabotage the business and their manager. That's at an all-time high right now at eighteen percent. Yeah. So I'm looking on their website, and guess what? Their graph of is it has been changed. So it says engaged, and then it has quiet quitters and actively oh. disengaged. So Gallup is completely on board with this because. I think, you know, and I'm just intuiting this, that they were like, people didn't pay any ounce of an attention to this forever. And we've been like reporting on sure. this for 20 years, yeah, 20, well, you know, and, yeah. and now everybody's talking about quiet quitting. Well, okay, then we're, we're going to like, you know, get on board with it because that's what we've been talking about for all this time. So yeah, nothing yeah. has changed, but I'll tell you, there is something that has changed. And this is going to be another one of these, uh, you know, we need to get get back an employee's mentality that's so stupid, you know. That, but <laughs> yes, quiet firing. <laughs> we had two years to reflect on life during COVID. Plenty of time, and largely because I think we haven't always treated people very well in our workplaces. Right. You know, our first instinct in COVID, in like one week, we let twenty million people go in this country. But that's what we do. And now Forbes Fortune magazine came out and said that, you know, basically 95% of all CEOs think that we're heading into a serious recession. Mm-hmm. And most of them, 80% of them are like already planning on letting people go. So people so think, well, 
why should I put my heart into my work if this is the relationship that we have here? Right. So we don't realize leadership and our decisions play a huge role in creating these feelings. But the feelings that people are having now that we're going to have to reconcile with is an even bigger quiet quitting. It's work isn't the only thing in my life. Right. That's where people sure. are going. <clears throat> They're saying, you know what, I had time to take my kid to school or have breakfast with my spouse or, you know, go out and mow the lawn at lunchtime. And there are things that I enjoy that I don't get to do when I have to work all the time. And when people are exploiting me by sending me texts at eight o'clock and could you get on a quick call or whatever these demands are, we have no boundaries. And people are like, if you're not going to give me boundaries, well, then I'm going to seize them myself because... I can't give everything to work. Some managers, Jim, are going to go, well, these lazy bastards, like, you know, these these slackers. And they're not understanding that they're already giving you 10 hours a day. Give them back their life. If we understand that and we respect that, you'll actually get high productivity in the 10 hours that they're with you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm in full agreement and I recognize that what we went through is going to lead us to a new paradigm. And we're, I think we're still figuring out what that paradigm is really going to look like. But, you know, Mark, to, to your point, we've been talking about work-life balance for decades too, you know? <laughs> and, and I think that this, uh, you know, worldwide pandemic maybe brought that to the fore. And, you know, again, we put words around thing, great, great resignation and all that. And then I'm reading some statistics recently that shows that the folks that left are coming back because they're recognizing they need it. They're not, they're not, they're not. So so I don't know. They may go somewhere else, but they're not going back. To their employer. I'm, I'm, yeah, no, I'm talking about going they're, finding, to, they're, find, they're finding other jobs that were equivalent. Right, to where they they're not were. going back to the first guy. Right. Yes, yeah, no, I, I, and this this data pointed to that as well. So, so to me, I don't know if it was a great resignation or just sort of a great shuffle, but somehow we've we're kind of, you know, in that circular part, which I think is true. Whenever there's a paradigm shift, we kind of there's disruption. There's people figuring out things there's new ideas being thrown forward some of them are good ideas some of them aren't so good and ultimately through all of that you know sort of uh, agitation comes a new model and i think we're in the process of kind of discovering what that that new model is going to be that's obviously why i'm here you know i mean that's what we're talking about that's what the book is about you know i've 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 spent um a whole career proving that this works and then yeah. the last 12 years proving it scientifically and through yeah. research. Right. Um, but I think what we're really talking about, first of all, if you, if you realize that over 70 million people quit their jobs since January of 2021, if we just step back and go, is that normal? Is, yeah. is like yeah. the people just like quit jobs, you know, do they yeah. disrupt their lives and their friendships at work and the, right. and the routines that they have and whatever 401k matches that they're walking right. away from and all that. Why would somebody do that? You know, like, yeah. is this normal? And so we go, well, there's something wrong with people now these days. And I'm yeah. saying, how about we take a look at how we lead and manage? Because if we had created an environment that when people had those two years to reflect and they said, you know, that Jim Kerr, like 
I have the best boss. Like I'm, I can't wait to do more for Jim Kerr. Right. Yeah, I mean, right. but instead we go that Mark Crowley, man, like I can't stand working for that guy. <laughs> and, and so I'm going to go. So it, it really requires us to take a step back and say, if you, if you want that train of people leaving and you know, you, you call it circular, people are like, I'm going to keep looking until I find what I want. And I happen to believe what they want is someone who is an advocate, mm -hmm. someone that makes them feel safe, not threatened, doesn't manage right. with fear, right. somebody who appreciates them, grows them. Those, yes. those kind, and by the way, all of those things contribute positive emotions to people, which make them thrive. Right. So if we if we had managers, first of all, if we weeded out all the people that don't manage this way, that people hate working for, you know, and we ask people in surveys, would you recommend Mark Crowley as your manager? Hell no. Right. So yeah. you've got the data. So you've got to go to Mark and go you got to do say, something hey, with it. Yeah. You're going to have to change or you're going to have to yes. go. Yep. No, I, I, I'm I'm with you. And I think, you know, I think you know that I. I yeah, 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 I do. I do I believe in all that all that uh, focus on on people, you know, because at the end of the day, you're leading people. It's not resources. You know what I mean? <laughs> I actually left the boss really early in my career because he kept referring to me as a highly productive resource. Oh, yeah. Thanks a lot, boss. And I'm like, huh? I, know. <laughs> you know, I should thank him because he motivated me to start the business. So that was over 30 years ago. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, I'm with you. The The thing that that I, I guess I'm reacting to in the quality of the thought leadership right now is I just feel like there's a regurgitation of a lot of old ideas and people are kind of, you know, glorifying them now, like treat people well. That's not a new yeah, idea. I, I, yeah, no, <laughs> you know? I, I, I mean, I, you know, the, the thing is, is that I'm up, I'm, I started off with, you know, the title of my book is a hurdle for a lot of people, right? They just yeah. hear it and they go, game over. The guy's, yeah. guy doesn't know what the hell he's talking. Like, th that's how fast we dismiss it. And then, you know, and I've had other people ask me re recently. So what you're really saying is just be nice and kind to people. And I just want to go, you know, like, no, it's not that at all. This yeah. is, and you yeah. know, it's interesting to, to, to your question, Jim, if you were to go up to people who used to work for me at any level. So, you know, as I'm progressing through my career um, and becoming more senior and senior, it doesn't matter if you went up to people and said, what's the one word that you would use to describe Mark Crowley, your, your yeah. former boss? Yeah. Well, I mean, everyone listening in, he's going to go, well, of course, the answer is heart because he's the heart guy, right? And that's that's what he's the Pied Piper of. They go, he's the most demanding person I ever worked for. Yeah. And this is the piece that people don't understand is that when you are supporting people the way that I supported people by doing all the things we just talked about, yeah. you're setting people up for success on levels that they've never known before, that right. no one else in your organization is doing. And so I used to say to my to my employees, it, no matter what job I was managing or what organization or what you know job family it was, it's like if we're going to be this set up for success, let's aim higher. Like yes. let's aim significantly yeah, higher. The bar. Yeah. And is but you know you can't do that if you're not going to reward people for that. Right. And take right? care of them. But and, if right. the compensation aligns to yeah. that, if you do forty percent more, then you're going to get forty percent more. Then. Yeah. People performed for me, and it was really interesting. I had a woman that worked for me. I was managing a group of retail 
bank branches 30 years ago. We are the number one region in the entire bank, 85 regions across the country. We were number one for three consecutive years. And I had this woman, I won't name her, but she was in the bottom third in terms of her performance. She just wasn't very sophisticated in the way she approached the, the job. Wonderful person. But in terms of just being able to drive the performance. And so, you know, I was working with her and coaching her and I got a promotion. I left her. So I stopped. I, I was doing national yeah. stuff. I'm not even seeing her. And uh, so I'm in a meeting, like a, all the managers of the company up in Seattle. And I walk by her and she's having a conversation with someone. And she goes, they, she said, well, you know, what region are you in? And she said, well, I was, you know, up until just recently, I was in Mark Crowley's region and we're the number one region in the entire company. <laughs> and she was taking this like amazing pride in this. And, yeah. and yet, you know, but her performance in relationship to everyone else was superior. Yeah. And so a year and a half later, I ran into her and I said, how are you doing? She goes, I'm going to Hawaii. And I go, oh, good for you. She goes, no, I earned a trip to Hawaii. She was oh, in the top wild. 5%. Yeah. Yeah, that's company. excellent. What a great story. Mark, you know, I could talk to you all all day here, but we, we've run out of time. I'm going to leave this wonderful story as sort of the, the end mark for today's conversation. Uh, again, thank you so much for joining me. This is a really great topic, and you did it justice, man, so I thank you. <laughs> thank you so very much, Jim. Very nice meeting you. Take Goodbye. care.